This is a podcast from Minute Media. In the fall each year we all congregate The mouth all gathered at the church of Tailgate The scriptures reading from the book of months in Our favorite verse, my God, a freshman Drunk and obnoxious, what children face Ain't nothing finer in the lane Now the 3,000 of our best friends It's Saturday and last thing Welcome to the Saturday in Athens podcast. We're a Georgia Bulldogs show by dogs fans for dogs fans. I'm your host, Herschel Gurley, joined as always by my co-host, Boss Dog. Boss, market to people. Welcome, welcome, everyone. We are, as taping, 11 days away from kickoff. So getting really, really close, super excited. Scrimmage was last Saturday. Second scrimmage was last Saturday. A lot to dive into, so we're just going to jump right in. Yeah, so let's not bury the lead here. Um, both of your favorite co-hosts received quite the haircuts in the past week. <laughs> so, I mean, Boss could cut it off, and I, he still just got such a, a beautiful head of lettuce. But I told him, I just hope we're not like Samson, and these haircuts are going to take all of our powers away, whatever little powers that we have. <laughs> yeah. Mine span the, uh, the gamut of pop culture trivia and – obsessive compulsive georgia bulldogs fan knowledge that's about it that's all i got brother i'm not an expert in anything but i the random facts that's what i got and that's pretty much it yeah i'm right there with you well let's start off with uh just because it was news today so we'll start there chronologically lsu announced today that at tiger stadium in the fall they are going to have new covid protocol where Along with your ticket, you are also going to have to present proof of vaccination and or, or I guess, or proof of a negative COVID test within 72 hours prior to kick. When I read the article, I thought, well, is this going to be a one-off or is this going to be like a domino type thing? And almost, I think, like an hour or an hour and a half after the LSU announcement, the AJC released a story quoting sources inside of Georgia's athletic department saying that Georgia is still going full capacity. They will not be requiring masks. They will not be requiring proof of vaccination or an alternative like a negative COVID test. Also, there was a tidbit in the article that the plan is still to move forward full-fledged with tailgating in the fall. So it seems like as of today, uh, August 21st, the plan in Athens is for it to be as normal a Saturday in Athens as possible, given what's going on. So does that surprise you at all? Or do you kind of figure based on the language that's come out of UJ's athletic department over the last four or five months that that's where they would sit and stay? Or where were you at with all that? Well, first off, I think that kudos to LSU for being the first one to take that leap, because someone was going to do it and kudos to them for doing it. Secondly, I'm not going to be surprised. I'm not surprised at all that UGA has decided to go the route that they're going at all, and they're going to monitor the situation. And I think every school is going to do that. Every school is going to monitor the situation within their own state, which is what they should do. I mean, yeah. if if it's worse in one state and they want to put the 
their guidelines in place, whatever those guidelines may be. I mean, they they should do that. If they don't want to, then I mean, they don't need to. Not a political argument, not any other argument. It's just safety first. That's that's where I am on it. And really, what matters is as we are a Georgia podcast, football primarily to me is I want football in the fall. And as long as there's football in the fall, I want fans in the stands, but if there's not fans in the stands, just like last year, 18, 20% capacity, there was still football in the fall. And that was still good enough for me. Yeah, I, I feel the same. I think it's a, I think it's a state by state question, right? And it seems like LSU made their choice based on COVID vaccinations in the state, hospitalizations, all these type things. And, you know, I, I just, if you have paid attention at all to Georgia athletics since Josh Brooks has took over and worked in conjunction with Kirby, they're going to do everything they can to create a safe uh, environment, not just for players, but for fans. So I agree with you. I think they'll keep tabs on everything. And if they have to alter and change things, they will. Uh, but they obviously feel comfortable enough to roll and move forward as it stands now. Um, and I think folks should be excited about that. I think we are doing everything we can as a populace to control this and control the spread and all those type things. And people are getting vaccinated and whatever it may be and getting us back to as normal as we can get back to. Um, and this is another step in that direction. On a similar note, I can't remember if it was this week or maybe it was last week after we had taped, but Charlotte Sports Foundation came out and said they were going to mimic the protocols that the Panthers had put out at Bank of America for the opener, which I think just means it'll be like it was, you know, last year at most arenas, which was, or at most stadiums, which was, you got to wear a mask if you're not in your seat. So, um, yeah, that was a change. I think the expectation going in was that it would be full go, but obviously, Circumstances changed. They made that announcement. So if you're going to the game in Charlotte, just heads up for that. Have a mask with you so you can walk around the stadium and none of the ushers holler at you. They were pretty um, they were pretty stringent about it down at the cocktail party. So I would imagine they'll be the same in Charlotte. I mean, if you like got into the aisle, even still like in the outdoor portion of the stadium, an usher be on you, like put your mask on. So I would expect it to be somewhat similar, especially given the volume of people that are going to be in that stadium for the opener. So let's talk about the scrimmage. I think the big news that you and I had texted about that came out of it, or at least big news to me, based off what we had talked about last week, is it seems like the tentative offensive line rotation leaked out. How fired up are you right now that we're leading with the O-line? A scale of one to ten, how pumped are you? Eight. Eight. I mean, I'm happy. I'm happy with it. This is where I'm. my concern is, because I don't think that this is what they wanted. Yeah. That's where that's where my concern is. I don't think this is what Luke and Kirby wanted the O-line to be. What did you think in their perfect world the line would have looked like September 4th? I think in a perfect world, they were hoping that either Truss or Broderick Jones were going to just come in and lights out left tackle, and they were going to be able to move Jamari inside, and it would be – uh, Truss or Salyer at left tackle, Schaefer left guard, Erickson at center, right guard is Salyer, McClendon um, at right tackle. That's what I think they wanted to happen. I think that the left tackle didn't shake out the way they wanted to, and because of that, they had they were forced to move Salyer back outside, 
And because of that, I mean, he's extremely talented, but he's very, he's, he's like I said, he's like Isaiah Wynn, which in 2017 and two, I mean, 2016, 2017, Isaiah was a great left tackle, but he's just doesn't have the length that your typical left tackle does and what they want your typical left tackle to be. So I think that they wanted to move Jamari back inside. And because of whatever happened in um, the spring ball and fall camp that they had to move Jamari back outside because he's just the best option right now. Yeah. I think a lot of that too has to do with the fact of who they're playing in the opener, right? Yeah. You're playing who most would argue is probably the best D line in the country to open the season. And I just think they're like, look, we can't just guess and check this thing against this D line. We got to have five guys in place that we know are going to be able to handle their assignment. So I, I think you're absolutely spot on about that. I think they just go, look, we have a full year's worth of tape of Jamari doing it and we're going to roll with him because we got to protect our main offensive asset, which is our quarterback. So I think you're dead on the money about that. Does it make you nervous that SVPG is going to start at center? Or do you think that's not as set in stone and that Erickson may still see time using the offhand to snap? I think Erickson could still see some time, but if SVP has to go, it does not worry me one bit at all. And I remember this is going way back into his recruitment. My favorite thing about him wasn't his, his blocking or anything like that. It was his, his mind. I loved watching the film, how he got his guys in place, how he was able to set everything up. He was like a second quarterback on there setting up the protections. So I love that. I mean, I'm not saying he's there yet as a sophomore or a redshirt freshman in college, but he has the ability to do that, to get there. And that was my favorite thing about watching his tape um, when he was in high school. He is that knowledgeable with the protections and knowing where everyone is supposed to be on that line. He knew all five positions when he was a senior in high school, where every one of his linemen were supposed to be. And that was my favorite thing watching him. He could get everyone lined up quickly, read the defense, and ready, get ready to go. Yeah, man, I'll be honest with you it does make me a little nervous that they keep floating out. Oh, well, Warren Erickson can snap with both hands. And I'm like, well, that's a little bit easier for me to be comfortable with if it was like football used to be where quarterbacks taking 90% of the snaps under center. I think yeah. you can fidget with that a little bit. Makes me a little bit nervous him using non-dominant hand to snap shotgun snaps, which I figure we're going to be in 90% of the game, right? Like that makes me a little nervous. Well, I guess one thing I would like to know, is he snapping it like he snaps with the right hand or is he snapping like Brandon Cablano used to snap? Remember how he used to snap where he basically snapped with his hand on top of the point and yeah. kind of like just shoveled it back? Like if yeah. he's snapping like that with his left hand, that wouldn't make me as nervous. But if he's, if he's snapping it back like – you know, a pass between his legs, that makes me a little nervous. Yeah, I, that, that whole thing just, boy, that gives me some pause. So I, I would rather have a 100% healthy snapping with dominant hand SVPG than have Warren snapping with a non-dominant hand and maybe there's a couple snaps that, that go by the wayside, right? So I mean, that concerns me too, but also, I mean, he's going to have to play with that club too. That right. as a yeah. lineman, I mean, holding happens on every play as line when you're a lineman now. It does. And it's just a matter of if you get caught. 
like you said, we're gonna be this is the best defensive line we are gonna play all year. This is probably the best defensive line in the country. He's gonna need both hands. It's gonna be really hard to defend that interior without a right hand. So Kirby came out in the post scrimmage press conference and I thought sounded much sunnier than he sounded after the first press conference. Do you think that was a product of actual results in the field and he's just letting that out because he was pleased with how things went? Or do you think that may have also been a little bit of, Hey, look, I got to talk these guys up a little bit. Like we got to, we're getting ready here. It's time to roll. I got to kind of put some affirmation out there that's positive for the team. Or do you think it's a little bit of both? I think it's a little bit of both. I also think it's a little bit of Kirby ready to get in regular season mode because I mean, this is the first time since the last week of November or uh, first week of December last year that they're really getting ready for a regular season game, like a regular getting ready to go into a regular game week. And it's just, I think that they're just ready to go. So it's almost like a relief that they've gotten there without any setbacks with the COVID protocols, without any, without any hiccups about that with that stuff. So I think it's almost like he felt like a relief, like a weight lifted off his shoulder. It's like things are going smoothly. Not that they have to, not that they can take their foot off the gas with those things, that they still have to like be do their due diligence with all those protocols that they have in place to make sure there's no contact tracing or anything like that. So everybody can still play, but it's just almost like a relief. Okay. We got through almost all the fall camp. We got through our two scrimmages. We're two weeks away from the opener. You know, it's time to go. So I think that has a lot to do with it because he's as fiery as competitor as anybody. I mean, he is, I think he is a little bit happy with it what's on the field, but I don't think he's ever going to be like, okay, you know, we flat out suck. Like he's never going to come out and say that. Yeah. I wonder too, because obviously the comments that we've seen have been that the offense not been as crisp as maybe they want it, which a, I think is kind of normal for the start of the season, right? Like everybody's trying to work into the rhythm and all that. And they've also had a lot of in and out at wide receiver and tight end. So I think that matters too, because a lot of that's rhythmic, right? So I think that's a piece of it. The other part of it is I don't think we should discount that they're repping each day against what we think is going to be one of the best defenses in the country. So maybe it's as much a statement about how dominant Georgia's defense can be and less a statement about Georgia's offense struggling or having hiccups, right? Like, I don't know, man. I, I just feel like there hasn't been a lot of language out of camp that like, oh, we're having problems on the de- defensive side. And all of the language that you see seems pretty excited about who's going to play opposite of Darian Kendrick, whether it's Amir Speed or whether it's uh, Kitty Ringo or whoever it may be. All reports seem to be good for that. Which who, who do you expect to see get the majority of the snaps? on that other corner's position on the opener? Or do you think they're just going to split it and go hot hand? I would be shocked if it's not Ringo. Yeah, I kind of get the same feeling. And I'm going to tell you, man, we saw him at the spring game. He, he's, he's a different dude. Like, body size, like he is who Kirby wants playing corner. Like, I, I don't know, man. I, I think he's got a real opportunity to be – and we've talked about this. I think he's one of those names where you go, folks around the country going to know who Keely Ringo is after the season's over. Like, I, I really believe that. If he stays healthy, he's got a chance to shoot up some boards. Speaking of players and, 
and who's going to be good and all that type of stuff and all the preseason fodder. I saw that ESPN released their top 100 players of college football either today or yesterday. And I found it interesting that there were five Georgia selections on the list, which seemed a little low to me. I mean, I know it's a, that's still probably a lot for most programs, but when I tell you the names, you probably will be surprised, okay? So first off, they had no one within the top 20. First selection on the list was JT Daniels at 24. So he was first, okay? Second selection didn't come till 41, and that was Tyke Smith. So, like, he's not even going to play in the opener. Okay. Then third selection wasn't until, like, and I'm going to forget the numbers here at the end. It was, like, in the 60s. George Pickett's homie. He's, he's not going to play, like, until maybe November. Maybe. So, I thought that was interesting. Then Jordan Davis slotted in at, like, 82 which seemed way too low. I think he is the ultimate value buy. Like, that just seems crazy to me. And then rounding out the list for the dogs at number 90 was Zeus. That's the list. Those are the dogs players that made the list. No Lewis seen. That surprised me. No N'Kobe Dean. That surprised me. It was bizarre. It was a bizarre list to me. I understand the talking heads at ESPN because they don't follow the program ins and outs. I mean, they're still spitting – News articles have been actually proven as fiction by insiders within the Georgia beat reporters, and they're still talking about it as if they're fact. So I understand them spitting out stuff that just seems absolutely asinine to us. I get that. I don't understand the Davis being solo. That's the one that surprises me the most, honestly. Dude, how, about you, JT? how about JT at 24? Dude, he's like a top five Heisman candidate. But some people aren't as high. Like, I mean, it, it depends on which where you go with him. Some people aren't as high on him. You go to one one sporting website, they have him like top three. You go to one, they have him like, you know, number 10 in quarterbacks, just in quarterback rankings. So I mean, he really think, is all over the board. I do think there is some hesitation amongst the pundits to buy hook, line, and sinker that George is going to fling the football around the field. I mean, I think that's real. I think people are kind of in a wait and see mindset with that like are they really gonna just toss this thing around the yard like 45 times a game and maybe they won't right like i think kirby has shown that if they get a lead he's gonna salt that thing away and rely on the defense but i don't know man maybe i'm wrong maybe they're maybe they are gonna come out and just light it up i think they should i think the lesson of the last two and a half years for them should be that that should be the plan right yeah. So I'll be a little surprised if that's not the direction that they're going in. But I do think that drives some of the national narrative with them. I think it's why they are falling in at fifth in these polls because the media is just going, I don't, they, I don't know. They're always going to pick Bama above Georgia and they should, right? I mean, Bama has proven it on the field, but they're just not going to put Georgia in that top three or top two to start until Georgia goes out and wins the title. I, I just think, they have to earn that kind of preseason credibility, which, again, who cares? That's why you play the games. But I think there's something to, to that national. And then Jake Marta was first-team All-SEC punter. And, dude, he's getting a lot of preseason love, a lot of people putting him on some big lists, So, which I think is justified. He had a big year last year. Um, but, yeah, it's just – it's interesting, man, because I agreement that they're going to win the East. And so it just always strikes me as funny that – 
the team that you're pegging to win the East, you're then not correspondingly putting their best players on these preseason lists. I just don't, there seems to be like a disconnect on that to me, but maybe they just feel their sum is greater than the parts. Right. So who knows, but I just thought found that interesting between those two lists popping out. A lot of stuff happening this week, college football news wise. Like I feel like that whole Alliance thing got announced today, which that's a whole nother conversation, but, I thought that whole thing was laugh out loud funny, which you had to know it was going to be if Kevin Warren was involved. Like, yeah, what a joke just he can't is. Be, that was right on brand for, for them. I can't believe the ACC signed up to be a part of it. Like, to be, it, it just, it was so dumb. The press conference was so dumb. They said nothing. The alliance means nothing. There's not even a, it was just a joke. Like, they didn't say anything. The alliance isn't going to do anything. It's just, I don't even know what they were doing. Essentially, the takeaway line that I saw was, we're going to talk to the media entities about whether or not they feel the alliance could be valuable from a media rights perspective, which, duh, everybody knows that's why you're doing it. It's because you know the SEC is about to cash some major checks with this new alliance. Oh, that was the other thing. Somebody released some news this week, which you and I have already talked about, so I don't think we're going to be surprised by it, but that... Oklahoma and Texas are expected to join the conference starting next season. Yeah. Which I don't, I don't see how they won't make that happen. Um, Cause I think it makes their bargaining power going forward better. And plus what awkward bedfellows for them to be in the big 12 till 2025. Like, I don't know. That just, that couldn't have worked. So, but yeah, that, that came out. I mean, just a ton of stuff coming out this week, which just leads you into the fact that, we are about to have real football. Like, what, Thursday night's the first college game of the season, like D1 game of the season? Is yep. that the uh, – who plays Thursday night? Is that the – oh, man, I forget this. It's a huge spread. Is that the um, – ten, Tennessee Bowling Green State? Does that sound right? I think that's the gotta, Thursday night Now game. I want to pull it up. <laughs> I think that's the Thursday night game. And then, you know, the Nebraska-Illinois game is this weekend. I think that's the quote-unquote marquee game. Because people want Kent, to see Nebraska. There's a, I'm pretty sure there's Kent State too. This, this, there's a Kent State game this weekend that has a ginormous line. I remember seeing that being like, "Holy crap!" It's like a 30 point line. Well, dude, I, that's these these week zero games. There's like no premier matchups, so all the lines are massive, which makes them impossible to bet. I feel like because you don't know anything about anybody. First off, yeah. and then second, it's just these huge numbers. So you're like, "Well, I'm just gonna take the." the home favorite or am I going to roll with the road dog and just be rooting for chaos? Let's, well, yeah. I'll be rooting for um, the, uh, it's the Illini versus Nebraska, right? I'll be rooting for yep. anyone to beat, beat the, the Cornhuskers. So, yeah, man, I, I think in a lot of ways, which maybe I'm wrong about this. I don't really think about Nebraska football, but it seems like a prove it year for Scott Frost. Like this is year four, pretty much all his guys on the roster. Like, I think, I think they're starting a, a walk-on quarterback too. If I remember, I think I read that somewhere that they're starting a walk-on quarterback. Well, they're they're also dealing with some funky news apparently out of Lincoln about some possible violations and all this type of stuff that could get pretty hairy. So we'll see on that. But I mean, dude, to your point at the top of the show, we're we are eleven days out from kick, which. I just feel like once you get into the teens and then next week will or this weekend will be in the single digits. Yep. Dude, my level of excitement is at about 
40,000. Like I am so jacked up about it. Like, where are you at right now? 11 days out. You feeling good? You feeling nervous? Like have any of the emotions set in yet? Or are you still in in the holding pattern? I'm in the holding pattern ever since I became a dad. Everything doesn't get, I don't get rid of a lot of the emotions until about three to four days out about anything, just because things can change on a dime so quickly. So it's, (laughs) you just never know what's going to happen. So I I try to keep my emotions in check till about about 72 hours, sometimes four days, but usually around the 72 hour mark, it's like when I start getting real excited about stuff. And that's everything. Like I legitimately mean everything, not just football, like anything that I have planned because anything can change and have to cancel plans at any second when you have kids. So that's usually my, my motto for life. So I got to talk to you a little bit about this and I think it'd be probably how we'll close it out, but can't not talk about it because it was such a hot topic over the weekend, but Bill's bears preseason game on Saturday, which is meaningless outside of the fact that, Justin Fields was on one team and Jake Fromm was on the other team. So the uh, Twitterverse was alive with the throwbacks to 2018 and the Jake Fromm and Justin Fields hot takes and blah, 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 which I know you and I are sick and tired of. But the one takeaway I did have from it, did you see Herbie's tweet about it? Mm-mm. Dude, so somebody tweeted something. I can't remember who it was. And Herbie quote tweeted it and then responded. This is the most tired debate ever. No coach is benching the quarterback that just took them to the national championship game and played well in favor of a true freshman who has taken zero snaps. And like, he was very forceful in his tweet. So you all check it out. But I just found it interesting. And he's right, by the way. Like for me, that's the crux of the argument. All the hot take hashtag, Kirby from or Kirby Smart chose Jake from over Justin Fields negate any and all perspective around when that decision was actually made. Like all those comments are made given what Justin went to Ohio state and did, and then what his draft position was comparatively to Jake. Right. And it's an apples to oranges comparison. Like, and I'm, I would make the argument that ultimately it worked out good for both of them. Like Justin went to Ohio state, got to play in an offense that was perfect for him. He put up video game numbers, gets in the Heisman conversation and dude, first round pick, like that's the goal. And as a Georgia fan, I was thrilled for it. Right. Like I just think it's this plug and play mindset where, Oh, everything would have been exactly the same if he was at Georgia. Never mind the fact that, the offensive scheme wasn't the same. Coaching staff wasn't the same. Like, I mean, let's be real about this too. I'm not throwing stones or I'm probably throwing stones, but level of competition wouldn't be the same. Right. So like, I don't know, man. I just think it's, it's just such a dumb thing and such a dumb argument to frame. And you got Ryan Clark spouting his mouth off about it. And I just, it just drives me insane. Like, why can't we just move on with it, be happy for both kids, and just wash our hands of it? Like, is anybody upset that Jake Fromm played three years at Georgia, they played in three SEC championship games and beat Florida three times? Like, is anybody mad about that? I just – it all just seems like such a dumb argument to me. I don't know. Am I off base with that? The tweet that I saw that summed it up best, for, for me anyway, 
They both played in college for three years. Combined, they won zero national championships and never beat Alabama. Yeah, that's precise. They both had opportunities to do that. So I'll leave it at that. I don't care anymore. I didn't care as much about it when it was going on. I cared about it in 2018 because it was such a distraction to the team, I felt like. Yeah. But since then, I have not given two thoughts about this, except for when it gets brought up by people like Ryan Clark. And when we, it gets brought up in stuff like this, it's just Justin Fields was never going to be the starter in 2018. That just was not going to happen. He yeah. probably would have been the starter in 2019. I really think he probably would have gone into an open competition after the way 2018 ended and especially after the Texas debacle and probably would have gone into an open competition in 28 that offseason and probably would have won the job. I actually believe that, you know, they were installing a new offense that year with Cole, like not new offense, but Coley was taking over as offensive coordinator that year. They were trying to do some new things. I think that he probably would have won the job that year. And who knows what would have happened in 2019? Not saying Georgia would have won national championship or won the SC, you know, it's all water under the bridge. But I think he would have won the job. Do I think that he would have put up video game numbers in Georgia's offense? No, because that's not Georgia's offense. No matter who's yeah. the offensive coordinator. Maybe yeah. now, maybe now with Munkin, but not, I mean, that's still wait and see, but it, that was never going to happen with Cheney or Coley as the OC, that just wasn't going to happen ever. And it worked out well for fields at the end of the day, it worked out well for fields. Be happy for him. My favorite, my favorite thing about this is people are always like and you wrote an article about this. And the first comment about that is, is like, they probably didn't read the article. They saw the, they saw the title and their response was you're wrong. Um, Fields is great. Farm from is garbage. That was, that's their argument. Yeah. They didn't, they, they didn't even read the article probably. Yeah. Yeah. I think people just have their opinion on it. And again, it's in a, it's in a vacuum talent, to talent, like, look, nobody is arguing that Justin Fields is not a more dynamic talent with a higher upside than Jake. Nobody's, nobody's saying that or arguing, right? It's just, you have to understand the perspective of the choice in 2018. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it was just laugh out loud funny for me that that's, that's still like a thing. And part of the argument was that, Oh, well, Justin's having a better pro career. Well, it doesn't have anything to do with college. Like, I think Tim Tebow is a perfect example of that, right? Like, college success does not equate to professional success. So, I mean, the, yeah. the list goes on and on and on with college quarterbacks who were grading people who were grading college that you know, never panned out in the pros. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's about all I got for you today, brother. Uh, exciting week next week. We're going to have um, our preview episode for the opener with our first guest picker of the season. We'll pick 10 games against the spread and preview the game. Uh, We are also going to have a really exciting interview episode next week. So a lot of good content coming. And if boss and I get real ambitious, maybe we'll have a a tack on episode on Friday. Once we're both in Charlotte together um, just to chat about how amped up we are and all those type things. So a lot of content coming next week and coming for the rest of the season. Um, also you can check out stuff that we're writing about the dogs as well, uh, on dawn of the dog.com. So you can follow us on here doing the podcast stuff. And then also, um, you know, when you're at work wanting to kill five or 10 minutes, read one of our articles. So a lot of dogs content coming from, from your two favorite co-hosts. Also, we need to set a date for the eating challenge, the nug eating challenge. There were votes. It's evenly split, homie. 
the odds are even. It's it's a I feel sorry for the people who voted for me. I feel I it's really a, do. It's a pick. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I gotta do some exercises. Well, obviously, it's gotta be gonna be has to be when we get back from Charlotte. I would gotta do it that Saturday, the uh, the Saturday after the eleventh. We could do it that weekend. That's a good idea. A, it's gonna have to be a Saturday because they're closed on Sunday, so it's gonna have to be a Saturday. Well, I need that Saturday Sunday recovery too. Yeah, that's yeah, gonna be yeah. that's gonna be. Yeah, that's a good idea. Three thirty kick for UAB. Good old yeah. nub challenge in the morning. I'm here for that. Yeah, let's try to do that. Let's let's not, not officially because who knows what's going to happen between now and then. But let's try to do that for the eleven. What are we setting the time limit at? An hour? That's like your standard kid birthday party, right? It's like an hour yeah, underneath yeah. the pavilion. I think an that's hour. The works. amount of time you're you're picking at the tray is the hour. Yeah, I think an hour works. All right, I'm in on that. All right, so we're going to tentatively plan it for Sunday, September 11th. Nug tray challenge, HG versus the boss dog. It's going to be <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right, homie. Well. We will uh we will start previewing this this big time opener here next week and I'll uh, I'll chat with you then. Till then, brother, go dogs sick 'em. Go dogs. Hey, George is better now.